Welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast. I am your host, Emily Priestley. I am a multi-certified dog behavior consultant and dog trainer, and I work primarily with herding breed dogs who are struggling in pet dog homes. The dog training industry is in a sad state. There is no shortage of abusive, uneducated, and harmful trainers who are flooding social media. Many qualified social media influencers and trainers avoid calling out abusive dog trainers because of backlash from those who hurt and scare animals in the name of training. 2023 was a hard year for many of us because there was a movement calling us out and even calling us extremists if we decided to voice any concern over abusive practices. While we're trying to make strides in this unregulated industry we're in, it feels like we're losing ground to this aggressive and harmful crowd. Enter Zach George and his wife, Bree. Zach is a dog trainer, author, TV show host, and social media star. Zach is an absolute powerhouse with an Instagram account of almost 500,000 followers. If you spend any time on Zach's account, you'll see he pulls no punches when it comes to speaking out against abusive training methods. For that reason, Zach and his wife Bree are the unsung heroes of 2023, refusing to be concerned about losing followers for speaking out, putting themselves in the direct line of fire of these harmful trainers, and using their platform for advocacy is a huge breath of fresh air. I do speak up when I can, but I don't have the fortitude or the size of platform that Bree and Zach have, so I wanted to sit down with them and find out why they are so passionate about using their social media to be advocates for the animals that have no voice in how they are trained. They make no apologies for their advocacy and are truly lovely people. While we do so with care, we will discuss abusive training practices, so please take care while listening. I sat down with Bree and Zach from my home office, and they took time to chat from the middle of a desert in Arizona. To get involved, check out their Instagram account and click on the link tree in their profile. They have position statements, form letters, and tons of information and ways to get involved. This episode is brought to you by my book, Urban Sheepdog. I wrote it to help you better understand your herding breed dog, especially those struggling to fit into urban or non-working homes. It's part user manual and part love story, and it's available on Amazon worldwide. The Kindle edition is now available, so pick it up today and fall deeper in love with your dog. Without further ado, here's Bree and Zach. All right. So let's start with um, just a little um, take. We're going to take a moment before we dive into the real nitty gritty stuff. And I would love to hear what dogs you have and what you're currently working on with them. Oh, gosh, that's that's a great question. Well, we have uh, our my, you know, our main dog or our older dog, I should say, (laughs) main dog um inertia and we're always working on lots of stuff mainly enjoying on just giving her a good quality of life and showing her the world we're currently traveling around the country right now so we're working on generalization and proofing all of those important advanced skills in the real world we also have a younger dog veronica who's also learning much about the world as well mm-hmm. right on yeah inertia's four now and i i think i feel like uh I was just thinking yesterday about how four feels like a really special age to me for dogs. Like there's something about they're like mature, but they're still all young and agile. And it's just been really fun to watch Inertia be a four-year-old dog lately. I've been really enjoying it. 
Yes, yeah, I same. have a two and a half year old border collie right now, and I'm looking forward to four because um, mm-hmm. I feel like two and a half at a with a border collie is still puppyhood. Like we're still in. Uh, he's a lot, <laughs> and I love him to bits, but I'm really looking forward to some of the maturity that will come with four years old for sure. So when I first, uh, yeah, I can relate with that. <laughs> when I first came across you, so obviously. Um, you have a massive following on social media. You are, you know, you if you you can search dog training and you're going to come up. You're not hard to find. Um, but when I first really came across your content, it was almost exactly a year ago. It was December um, of last year. And somebody shared a post that you had made and it was about misogyny in our industry. So in the dog training uh, world. And... I have to be honest that when I first saw the post, my heart started racing. I got a little bit anxious and I got a little bit concerned because there is so much misogyny in this field. And I pressed play and I was, I actually was concerned about what was going to be said because everything out there is really, it's really bad in our industry right now. And the opposite of what I thought was going to happen happened. You started talking about how we needed to, you know, make change and you were speaking out about it. And in that moment, it was like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders because for the first time I felt like somebody actually heard us. And so that was when I first got into, you know, following you and really getting into your content and just finding out exactly what you were all about And over the last year, I've really seen the same thing happen. Your account has really become, you know, you taught your, your, um, your um, tagline is like a, you know, revolution, right? You want a revolution in the dog world, but you've taken that to a whole new level. We're not just talking about training. Now we're talking about pushing back against abusive training techniques and your platform has really become an entire movement against some of the, I think the worst of that kind abusive dog trainers. So, um, when I think the first thing that we should do is maybe unpack for people, um, what that means, what is abusive training or what is, um, you know, not force-free training, because I think we would consider ourselves, um, I don't want to speak for you, but I consider myself force-free or positive reinforcement. So we would fall somewhere into that category. And then it, what is abusive training? So let's start with that. So break down for us what abusive training looks like and what it is. Well, so often I think like, especially to the novice or people who don't understand and, and live and breathe dog training all the time, they really confuse physical positions of a dog with with being dog training. So what do I mean by that? Like, um, too many people, they think if a dog stops pulling on the leash, then that might, that must be a sign of successful dog training. But what needs to be captured more in the public psyche and, and what they need to understand, what we're trying to get out there is you have to equally consider the emotional well-being of that dog and, and the process of training. It's not good enough to just simply get a dog to stop pulling if you need to use pain to get a dog to stop pulling. For example, the only way to really have an emotionally fulfilled and uh, really truly well-behaved dog with a high quality of life is to bring about that behavior from the inside outward. 
And that's more than just being idealistic. We now have the tools. We now have the research. We now have the knowledge in order to help dogs understand how to behave without having to use pain as a communication device. We know much more about dogs now. We know that emotively, for example, dogs are virtually identical to people. They're not non-feeling primitive life forms like some may have thought in the past. And once we know that, we now have an obligation to help those dogs live the best life that we can using modern tools. And it starts with professionals. So our movement that you're talking about right now isn't really, I mean, it's not aimed as much at, as everyday people as it is professional dog trainers, because that is where the information gets disseminated from. And so when we have, quite frankly, maybe a majority of called professional dog trainers recommending anti-scientific gibberish to the public uh, based on a number of reasons, whether it's just bad ideas or misogyny, as you brought out, we see toxic masculinity as a very prevalent quality in much of the dog training field. It's time to call that out. And we don't call it out to start a fight. We don't call it out to cause drama. We call it out because it's in the best interest of the public. Yeah, agreed. Um, I will say too, I work with a lot of people who are working with their own dogs who have come across really terrible internet advice and they have used aversive you know, tools or techniques with their dog. And I don't judge those people because they are doing the very best they can in that moment. Um, and they're doing their best to try and move away from that. But I certainly will hold um, professional, so-called professionals accountable. And I think that they deserve to be held accountable, especially when they're taking people's money, um, to hurt dogs. And you talked about studies and science and, um, I'm not going to, we're not going to dive too much into the studies, but well, I, what I would say to the people listening is that there are so many studies out there that prove that this stuff is dangerous and detrimental to our dogs. So we're going to take the stance moving through this episode that, um, we've, we've established that, that we don't have to have the, the debate anymore, um, about what is right and wrong. We know scientifically speaking, um, that this stuff causes harm and is detrimental to our dogs. Um, so i did look at on your webs, on your, um, Instagram account, there's a position statement from the American college of vet behaviorists. And so for anyone listening at the time of this recording, anyway, it is pinned on Zach's Instagram at the very top. They describe um, the uh, aversive or dangerous and inhumane methods as the following. So hanging a dog from a slip lead, delivering physical corrections repeatedly with a shock collar, physically forcing a dog into a sit or down position and provoking, provoking aggression in dogs. Um, and so that's what we're, we're when we talk about um, abusive training in this uh, podcast episode, that's what we're describing. And we're going to um, I really hope people listening take care while listening because this stuff can be hard to be in the in the um, the realm of. So, um, but it, I think there's a lot of big trainers out there that are probably on the same level as you in terms of platform who cozy up to abusive trainers. So I see them throwing positive reinforcement trainers under the bus and saying that we're anything from um, not being kind enough to being extremists and all of that sort of thing. We're sort of damned if we do and damned if we don't. If we say something and speak up, we're an extremist. If we don't say something, we have to sit idly by while a dog gets hurt. So lots of people don't speak up. 
Um, and that could be out of fear or they don't want to rock the boat or they don't want to deal with the backlash or whatever it is. But you decided to sit up and do something. So I would love to go into, if you can take us back into your living room or your kitchen table, wherever it was when you and Brie had this conversation that we have to do something. What was that conversation? What did it look like? Well, I just want to throw in that I think that conversation took about 10 years to have before we had the final one where we were like, now is the time. Like, I mean, we've behind the scenes been very bothered by this for a long time, but it feels like, shouldn't you show people the right way? Wouldn't that work? So we did that for a long time. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we have c- called this stuff out consistently over my entire career, um, but it, you know, it, it it is hitting different at this point. And I think if you're talking about in terms of our recent push or recent effort, yeah, I guess we we talk about it all the time because we know the pushback that's going to come back from it. We know that to some, to many, actually, it will come off as trying to get clicks. It'll come off as uh, trying to put somebody else down. Why don't you just focus on yourself? I mean, we've heard these themes throughout history when someone calls out things that should not be legal but are legal, right? These are the same types of insults that we get. So we knew that we were going to get pushback from it. We know that we're going to lose followers over it. And, you know, that what what is the alternative, though? The alternative is to sit by, watch the public, be misinformed with anti-science and bad ideas. And when you have a platform like we do, we really think it's important to stand up for ideas rooted in reality, rooted in science, not rooted in pseudoscience, not pretending like it's okay to be abusive to a dog because someone on the internet makes you feel good about it, that you can do it and there's nothing wrong with it. There is something wrong with it. And it it really presents a public health and safety risk. At the end of the day, I've always taken, age, Brie and I have always taken agency in the fact that we advise the public. This isn't about personal opinions. This is about the fact that the public listens to us. We try to vet all of our information before we ever uh, dispense it to the public. And we would like to see more people in that position take agency in their craft and and do the same because we think that's important. I think the ABSAB position statement had a lot to do with it, too. It was a couple of years ago because this, I mean, as you know, too, I'm sure has been a long time coming. There's been study after study coming out and we're like, okay. There it is again. It's clearly the right way to go, but it took a while, understandably, for these big organizations to actually release their position statement and put their foot down and say, okay, we've done enough research. Like you said, mm-hmm. now's the time. And so a couple of years ago, 2020 or whenever that happened, when we saw ABSAB, the first organization, at least in America that I know of, to release that position, we were like, okay. Yeah, it's on. Like, there's no excuse. Once that's done, I feel like there's really no excuse. Yeah, most dog trainers don't realize that groups like the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior, AVSAB, and the American Veterinary Medical Association, the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists, and more actually release position statements specifically for dog trainers. Most most dog trainers don't even know this, by the way. Um, and those position statements are not to be taken lightly, in my view. These are the creme de la creme. These are the most elite, esteemed organizations relative uh, relevant to the field of dog training. And for people to say, oh, I don't have to listen to that um, when I advise the public is highly problematic. 
Uh, and that's that's the position we take. We we think it's very important that we listen to the most esteemed scientific literature out there uh, and and organizations rather out there uh, who who make recommendations on this topic. And I should say for listeners who aren't aware too that our industry is unregulated, meaning anybody can wake up tomorrow morning and just decide that they're all of a sudden an expert and a leading expert and you know a dog trainer and they can present themselves as such. There's nothing that prevents that from happening. And so um, sometimes I hear people say like, "Well, it's you know your word against theirs" and things like that. Well, it is only because. Um, they're not regulated and they're allowed to just call themselves a professional. But when we look at studies and we look at the position statements of um, the other, another organization that has a really great position statement is the BCSPCA up here in Canada. So if anyone's interested, they can check mm -hmm. that out. Um, but it's not really about our word against theirs. It really is about what we know, scientifically speaking, is the right thing, right? But um, I really believe, like you mentioned, um, that people will say things like, oh, you're just doing it to sell something or you're just doing it for views or whatever. Um, I really believe that there are a lot of uh, big name trainers who support and turn a, turn a blind eye to this sort of abuse because they do have something to sell. And I think that they can sell that then to the forced crowd. Um, I took a look today on your, I was like, you know, going over your social media and I clicked on your link tree and I had to scroll for a very long time to get down to anything that you were selling. You were really using your platform, um, not for sales. <laughs> you were using your platform to link to position statements, to link to articles, to link to, you know, facts. And so um, I would say to those listening, like it really, if you if the goal was to sell something, I think the proof would be in the pudding. And I think that there would be a lot of, you know, um, a lot more sales pitch happening. And I really want to thank you for obviously doing the opposite, which is using your platform, you know, for, um, to be a voice. So, um, every time that I post, I do lose followers. So I'll post, um, small posts, not nothing as big as yours, but I'll post against, um, forced training. And almost every single time I do, I lose some followers. The other thing that happens is I gain a lot of, uh, support from people who do believe that, these that this is wrong um but let's talk about that because you know we, people are going to throw all of these accusations out there but the reality is we do lose followers so was that ever something that you were worried mm -hmm. about or anything that you you know was there any ever a time where you thought maybe i shouldn't say something because i could affect my social media following no because the risk is too great i mean you know I, I've been given a lot. We've been given a lot, and we understand the responsibility that goes along with that. So, no, I mean, it's never a thought. If we lose followers, that's and we, and we do because it is unpleasant. A lot of, and and the reason we lose followers is multifaceted. There are people who simply just, you know, it's not their passion this particular topic. Because I I market to everyday pet parents who are looking to improve their relationship and training with their dogs, and so it's not their cup of tea fine. Okay. There are a lot of causes out there, quite frankly, that are more important than this. And I can see that as well. Uh, it doesn't mean though, that we shouldn't focus on our own house, so to speak, and make sure that we're doing what we can to keep it clean. Um, you know, then, then again, there are other people who just find it inconvenient, unpleasant to think about, don't want to be presented with this problem. Also. Okay. Uh, and then again, there are 
are going to be people who just feel offended by it because they don't agree with you. And I'm sure there are other reasons. But the fact is that when we have the scientific consensus on our side, we know we're right about this. Uh, and we'll gladly, you know, if there's scientific data that comes forth to say, you know what, actually, it turns out aversive methods are kind to dogs and they do better and it makes their quality of life better then we will reconsider our position. And so we're not scared to do that. Uh, we're Bree and I are both very passionate about scientific education for the public. You know, Bree has a biology degree, uh, has studied animal behavior herself and is extremely scientifically scientifically literate and really contributes to a lot of this as well. So I want to make sure she, I mean, I think everyone knows Thanks. that who keeps up with it. <laughs> but but yeah, in terms of losing followers, it's it's fine. It's fine too, because it's much more important to get the message out uh, to the public that is actually true, that is verifiable, that is scientifically substantiated in lieu of all of this pseudoscience that dominates our industry currently. Yeah. Brie, do you have anything to add about that? Because you are a huge part of the platform. And that's why I was really happy that you decided to be on today as well. Thank you. Um, I guess it feels to me kind of like a, a right side of history situation. And so, I mean, our our social media is our job. Like we don't, we live there and we try to teach as many people as we can about the right way to interact with their dog, the way that's going to help them have a better life and relationship. And so it's, it's really important to us uh, to do things that people find valuable and want to see. And losing followers isn't something that we're like excited about or strive for. Um, but I think it, it just feels worth it. It wasn't, it wasn't even much of a question when we did this because it just, like, what else can you do? It feels like we have to let the public know now that we're seeing so much of this just bad information and it's it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. And so it just felt like we have to do that. And hopefully, yeah. hopefully it's going to work. Yeah, I I, yeah, well I hope so, too. Yes, very well said. Um, so I know that there's listeners at home sitting here wondering, and so I'm going to ask on their behalf. Does it worry you that you there's maybe a, an idea that you would be legitimizing these trainers and giving them a platform or elevating them? So, you know, um, before a lot of this, uh, this social media backlash, I had never heard of some of these trainers, <laughs> um, but now they're sort of a household name. Yeah. So does that concern you or does that worry you that we might be giving sort of elevating them or making them into a brand when they may not have had a platform before? No, it doesn't worry me. Um, it, I, I don't think that's what we're doing necessarily. Many of the higher profile names that we call out already have a substantial following are already uh, continuing to infect the public with really toxic ideas. And so at this point, it's like, no, you've got to call it out where you see it. And I mean, they're, they're, we're not going to change everyone's mind. We understand that there are people to this day who believe the earth is flat, for goodness sake. It doesn't, you know, I mean, you're going to have that element of society that just is science phobic. And, you know, it's it's much more important that we get to people who come at this topic in good faith, who are truly confused, who truly don't know the, the virtues of modern uh, dog training, basically. Yeah. So I'm not worried about it. So. 
I, we talked um, a, a bit before we started recording about my past and my past is working in shelter um, with, you know, we worked with cruelty investigations and a lot of really tough situations where we were dealing with trauma that had been inflicted, inflicted on another living thing um, or abuse from um, members of the public towards us and um, um, the staff and things like that. And I know that that can take a toll on people, right? When we're in this world, when we're people who we know this stuff is wrong and we have to see videos of dogs, you know, experiencing hanging and um, outright actual abuse. Um, I do. I find it hard to watch. Um, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, downsides to that. We have people that will, you know, end up with symptoms that are very similar to post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that. So you're in this world, you watch a lot of um, videos of things that you are against. So how do you mitigate that, um, the exposure and how do you mitigate the stress and how do you protect yourself from that? Well, compared to what you were doing, actually working in the shelters, have Having to deal with this emotional fatigue, it, it's nothing compared to that, I would imagine. I think what, what you are doing, actually having to work directly with these dogs who have these, you know, who are victims of abuse and thing like, things like that, I think our job is much easier and the emotional fatigue is much less. I, you know, for us, it doesn't really affect us all that much. I'm used to doing this. I'm not going to say we enjoy having to do it necessarily, but, you know, the fact that we can bring attention to it to so many people uh, is so much more gratifying than any negative consequences to our own emotional health on it, I would say. Um, I, I don't think we struggle with that too much. Amazing. Well, that's really great. I did. Okay. I've had one sleepless night. I have. Okay. Talk about it. This. Yeah. Um, so far, the one thing that has bothered me enough to actually like keep me up and make me feel like I'm struggling just a little was... The day that I looked very deeply into the laws that are currently on the books and like what would have to happen to these dogs for it to actually be considered abuse, um, especially laws about videos, because we were looking specifically about, you know, what what it's like filmed and posted and that's crazy. And so it seems like there should be laws against just filming and posting something that's broadly considered abuse by all of these, you know, organizations. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, I just found, I won't go into detail, but I found it disturbing how much farther it would have to go at this point to be considered a serious problem uh, federally. And so that's something that kind of changed our strategy, I think, too. Yeah, because that is what this. Are you done? I don't yeah, no, that's you. it. <laughs> that was it. Because <laughs> that is what we're really trying to highlight here. The, the disconnect between the behavior science community and yes. what animal welfare laws, particularly in the United States, allow for. There's a major disconnect. The animal science, uh, the behavior science community, rather, understands that this is abuse towards dogs. The laws do not yet acknowledge that. And so that is what we're trying to spotlight. We need to update our animal welfare laws in this country. and We need to do it yesterday. Agreed. And in Canada, we're the same. And so um, I when, when I was about to do this podcast, I asked on social media, like, does anyone have questions for Zach and Bree? And one question that did come up was, why isn't the ASPCA doing more? Why aren't they doing something? Um, and we get that in British Columbia a lot. So in British Columbia, we have the BCSPCA, and they are actually tasked to enforce provincial legislation and any of the animal cruelty laws. So often we hear people who say, 
um, they should just go in and take the dogs. They should just go in and remove the dogs. And what they don't realize is that the BCSPCA is just enforcing provincial legislation that's already written. They can't invent, they try to make change and um, they have in many ways, but they can't just write laws. So they can't just go in and remove dogs, whether or not they know that this right. is good or bad. Um, and so their hands are tied um, in um, British Columbia, where I'm from, just so people have an idea um, some of the, the, you know, physical abuse would be illegal and a dog could be removed from a home. Um, they have to, they have to be able to prove that though. Right. So, um, very often they don't have proof. Um, you know, maybe there's physical injury to a dog. They can't prove how that happened. So a vet could say, yes, there's maybe a broken bone. We can't prove how that happened. Um, and certainly some of the harsh discipline and training is not illegal. So, you know, a lot of these, uh, trainers that we see on very well-produced TV shows or huge social media accounts that are doing some of these things, they're actually not acting outside of the law. And so that's where the change has to happen is at, you know, here it's on a provincial level, um, but we really need stronger animal cruelty laws so that we can stop this stuff from happening. Because right now it is, it's horrifying when you go down that rabbit hole. I know I've lost um, sleep over it myself, like literally lost sleep over it. When you go down that rabbit hole and you realize some of the things that we know are wrong and there's some very terrible things um, that are actually completely legal for people to do. So, um, but I'm, I'm glad that you're not, um, affected by it more. I know certainly like I am, and I do want to speak for the people who are, I find it so hard sometimes to watch. Um, and I think what needs to be said for those people is there, there are ways to be involved. So if you're someone like me who struggles to see that, um, and you don't want to share that on your social media, there are ways that can be involved. And we're going to talk a bit about that near the end of the podcast. Um, and I'll link some resources for people as well, but even writing letters, um, you know, there's things that you can do to be involved that don't require you to be in it right in the thick of it and to be exposed to that. If it's not something that you can, mm -hmm. um, that you feel comfortable experiencing. I, I will say, yes, I, I, in case it was unclear earlier, I do find the actual footage highly upsetting and that does take an emotional toll. I don't find the backlash that I get to be, uh, very, uh, upsetting at all because I know we're all on the right side as Bree said of history earlier. But yes, that's a that's a really good point. And there are things people can do that don't involve them to have to subject themselves to things like that that can negatively affect their mental health. Yeah, for for people mm -hmm. in the U.S., we have a link in our bio where you can find your local politicians just by putting in your zip code, and we have a letter, like a form letter, in case you don't know what to say and you want some inspiration. So mm -hmm. no pressure, but it's there <laughs> if anyone <laughs> wants to check it out. So do you have, uh, what's your, what's your top, um, self-care tip for those listening who do want to be involved, but they need to take care of themselves. So let's start with Brie. Brie, what's your number one, um, self-care tip? Uh, for me, it's a really hard one is to stop reading the comments for a little while. Um, because it's just almost addicting to go through and try to help people understand what we're trying to say. And there, there comes a point where it just feels like so important and also really frustrating in some ways, because you can say the same thing in a million different ways. And people sometimes still just hear like, Oh, you're jealous of this other dog trainer. Yeah. And it's like, what, how many more studies do I have to show you? And so when I 
those are the times where I step away because the general public are so important to us and they're so misled right now and it's it's a shame and so I don't I don't like feeling frustrated like that and so I I take a walk (laughs) I take my dog and no phone and I take a walk she she took my answer take a walk yeah (laughs) (laughs) that that would be my answer walks are amazing it is absolutely and um changing i think just i like to think of it as like changing the channel because you know those attacks like there are these ad hominem attacks that we're exposed to where they the the it's you know us we're jealous you know we're jealous of the success of those trainers i just got called out for this on social media because there's a huge i'm i'm a big um herding breed trainer i mo- i work mostly with herding breeds and um there's a huge social media account that's all about border collies and they shared a post about letting separation anxious border collies cry it out which is like the opposite of what we know to do with separation anxiety and so i just very carefully um you know commented in in another thread and said like you know we have to be very careful these things are not how we want to work with separation anxiety and the response back was like you're just jealous you're just bitter um and it it's it, so it's like these ad hominem attacks that we're exposed to right where it's like um it it has nothing to do with me being jealous and bitter in fact i'm absolutely not jealous and bitter about it but i am worried for the dogs who are being left to cry it out Um, and so for me, that is something that I try to do as well, which is, um, walk away, right. Just walk away from the screen and just take some time. Um, it's hard though, but I am a huge advocate for self-care. So I appreciate, um, you sharing that. And ad hominem attacks are usually, I mean, I've, that's how, you know, you've won. I mean, when you're making a, an argument based on facts and data, and they come at you with ad hominem attacks. I, I actually view that as encouraging a lot too. If you can, if you can see it that way, you know, when they just start insulting you or whatever, rather than uh, addressing the argument. But yes, I agree. I mean, it's easier to assault insult the person um, when you don't mm-hmm. have the platform to st- like you don't have the facts to stand on. It's much easier to throw um, shade at the person, um, and it certainly can look like. Um, it's working, but I think you're right. I think it does show that there's some holes in their in their story. So as uh, social media is like, obviously, it's there's some accounts out there right now. You have almost half a million followers on Instagram. There's accounts out there with huge amounts of uh, with followers and just so much information out there. And I think that's fantastic. The, the flip side of that, though, is um, we have a lot of very uh, bad and very harmful misinformation out there on social media. So I spend time on social media. I have a very curated account. I'm very careful about who I follow. And I'm exposed to so much bullshit in a day I can't even begin to tell you because there's just, it comes at you. So my concern is that we're losing ground faster than we can gain it. So where do you think we're at today with this movement? Where do you think we're at today with um, this battle? Do you think that we're losing ground or you think we're gaining ground? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Uh, I think you, it depends on what, which angle you look at it from. Uh, I feel like we are moving the needle a little bit, uh, but it's it's going to be gradual. It's a, you know, when you have, the thing is like dogs and horses, fall into the hands of non-behavior experts more than any other animal that that I'm aware of. And that's why we see the problems in both of those 
industries of the pseudoscience taking over. Um, and we can't expect everybody in the world to be a behavior expert, but we should be able to expect our professionals to be behavior experts. And that's where we, that's all we're really advocating for. So where are we? Well, I mean, in my dog training career, maybe I'm biased, but I haven't seen anything quite like this, this level of a push before. And I've been doing this nearly 20 years at this point. And uh, I, I feel like we're making progress, but I do think it's still a very long haul. I do think that we need to make make changes in the laws, and that happens through public awareness. So we still are at step one, which is public awareness. Right now on our social media, we're requesting legal volunteers, people with political experience, political campaign managers as well to contribute uh, and help us continue to mature this message and refine it and help it reach more people. Um, so we're, we're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm viewing us right now as kind of like a megaphone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's like, I, I just feel like we're a passionate megaphone right now. And I'm <laughs> just like, okay, whoever is the right person to help us do this, come find us. Cause we're here and we're ready to amplify it. And mm -hmm. I hope that it happens, but that's what we're trying for. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And what do, what do you, when you picture, um, the ideal world, like when we, if we could fast forward 10 years, hopefully it doesn't take that long, 15 years, what would you love to see the, 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 the end goal? What is, what does it look like for you? The end game is licensure for dog trainers in all 50 States and around the world. I mean, you should have a license if you're going to give recommendations as to how dogs are to be trained. There's a lot of responsibility in making sure that you give ethical advice that doesn't result in increased aggression as are clearly correlated with aversive dog training methods. Among other things, mistrust between a handler and a dog, another major thing that doesn't have to happen. The public is being gaslit into uh, using aversive methods out of love for their dog. They're being told this is a loving thing to do. And I know people love their dogs. And I know the only reason they're doing these methods are because of so-called professionals advising them to do so. And that is a massive problem. So that's why, to answer your question, a required license for all dog trainers, it should, it should be a no-brainer. Yeah. Bree, do you have anything to add to that one too? If you could look fast forward, imagine yourself in 15 mm. years not having to have this fight. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, yeah, I, th I think. I'm trying to think of the best thing to add to that. I really, a lot of people, I think, feel sort of attacked by words like regulation and licensure. And I, it's, <laughs> I'm still sort of formulating my whole idea here as we're going down this path. But I think it's important for professionals to value continuing education. And I think that's one of the biggest things that a lot of these trainers that are using problematic methods aren't doing. So continuing ed, I feel like would change so much if it like, if that was the only requirement for like for dog trainers, I don't know how Zach feels about this. Uh, but I think just that one thing would really make a difference. Hopefully, but um, and continuing ed is very often a a a uh, requirement in licensed professions. Yeah. So yeah, it's hand in hand, definitely. Right. Yeah, but I because I just think you know a lot of these people. We have a plane. I can pause if you want. Oh, I can't even hear it. No. 
Oh, good. Okay, that's good. Um, I think a lot of these people learned something and anecdotally saw that it worked, or maybe at the time they learned it, there was some evidence to support it. And I think they stopped. And that's one of the biggest problems that we have right now. So I hope I hope we can encourage people to not stop learning. Stop yeah, and I would say, oh, no, it's so funny. I can't even hear that airplane. Um, that's crazy. One thing that I would point out to to those listening is when we talk about continuing ed, we're talking about um, you know, staying current, right? We want to make sure that we're staying current. We're following up with our education. We're going to seminars. We're going to workshops. We're going to conferences. And one thing that I will say is I've been to a lot in my career, both um, in the sheltering world and now as a, as a trainer. And these techniques, these abusive techniques that we talked about earlier, they're not taught at any of these conferences. <laughs> they don't um, pop up. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I think you're, right there is um people are coming from a place of loving their dog and being told that they have to do these things because it's the right thing to do there's also a lot of misinformation and outdated information so a lot of people are doing this because they think it's or they're they're packaged that it's how dogs communicate um and that's a very very old and outdated um topic and i think we could do a whole podcast just on the dominance theory alone <laughs> but um these things are not um they're not taught at at conferences, so um, for, good I, yeah. for very good reason because um, it's they're they're not accepted by professional by actual professionals um, and those who know what they're what they're doing. So um, where can people? How can people get involved? So let's. Um, you know, I know you've got actually quite an amazing call to action on your site, and I'm going to link that that um, that letter that you posted on your social media, calling out looking for um, for volunteers and people to get involved in help. But um, where, how, what's the best way for people to get involved, and what can they do? Oh, I mean, that it depends on the person and what they're comfortable doing. If they're an influencer and they're comfortable with it, raising awareness around it, if they if they're if they can handle the the mental strain that that can cause, uh, if they know people who are in positions of influence in government that they can plant the seed or connect us with or connect other professionals with, so that we can uh, underscore the need for change in our field. That's another way people can help. Uh, what else would you say? Um, sharing content. Sharing content constantly reminding people that suppression is not training which i think is the root of many of our problems right now you know we see people just suppressing dogs behaviors and saying oh it's fixed he's done he's trained and that's a problem it causes more problems down the road and it's not actually training so i think for myself early on because i'm not a dog trainer um, but I've, I've been with Zach for 11 years now, so I've learned a whole lot <laughs> just by working with him. And that was one of the first really, really eye-opening moments for me when he explained suppression to me, like shutting down a behavior versus actually changing that behavior through training in the future. It, like what, it's one of those, once you see it, you can't unsee it moments. And I think if we, I, I just hope we can be more effective at helping the public understand that. Yeah, I love that. That That's fantastic. Um, so 
when I was putting this um, episode together and I did, I asked on my social media for questions about for, for you. Um, I didn't get many questions, but I did get a lot of people who said they found force-free training or they found positive reinforcement training through you. So they got a dog, they went onto the internet, they Google searched and they found your YouTube or they found your accounts. And so many people told me to say thank you to you um, because you were sort of the gateway into uh, a better life with their dog and they luckily found you and not some of these other accounts. So on behalf of all of those, um, those people, thank you so much. I had a colleague who, when, when you started going, um, really speaking up about dog daddy and about misogyny and all of these things, one of my colleagues said, you know, I didn't see Zach George as our hero for 2023 on our bingo card, but there it is. So, um, both of you, thank you so much because you, you know, you're doing, you're definitely fighting the good fight. Um, you are on the right side of history. You are on the right side of science. And, um, I do find it very hard sometimes to be exposed to some of those things. And so I'm very grateful for the people who are able to wake up in the morning and, you know, and get to work and do, do the hard work. So thank you um, for doing that as well. I think it's amazing. And I hope in 15 years, we're having a completely different conversation. I hope in 15 years, we're saying, remember when, remember when that was a thing? Remember how, you know, the, thank God that's over. So if you're still doing a podcast, let's do a reunion. <laughs> we'll check in. That'd be so great. Yeah. Yeah. And that, those, those are very nice words you said. We appreciate that very much. Um, we're just trying to do our part. That's all. Yeah, that's true. It does. Well, it means an extra lot to me personally to hear people say things like that, because we do work pretty hard um, at a variety of things. But one of them is trying to be discoverable so that people can see that there's an alternative. Because if you look, you know, usually you Google and you see a lot of us. But then after that, you see compulsion training, compulsion training. Like it's there aren't a lot of easy to find big name trainers like this right now that are trying to show people. Anyway, that I, I just really appreciate that. And I hope we can get more of us. I hope, you know, I think that would be an amazing thing if we could have the top five or 10 Google results all just be modern ethical trainers. That would be so great. Oh, I hope so. I yeah, mean, I, I hope that's a, a, you know, one year goal versus a 15 year goal because, uh, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, I will be honest too, it's people like you who you're very generous with your platform as well. I mean, you shared a post of mine, um, this time last year about misogyny and about where we're at and you didn't have to do that. And mm -hmm. that was a huge boost to my account. Um, and, uh, that was right before my Christmas holidays of last year. And I literally went into my Christmas holidays, like, so I just felt so optimistic for the first time that year. <laughs> so thank you so much for, you know, giving, a, giving a voice to the Aww. dogs that don't have one. Thank you for speaking up again about this. Thank you for being, um, that number one Google search, hopefully when people find you, um, and thank you for sharing your platform, um, for, um, not just the dogs, but for people who are up and coming, I, re we all really appreciate it. And thank you for taking time, uh, with me today on your tour across america <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're very welcome we'll continue to do all of that mm -hmm. all right yeah well, let did... us, so let us know great trainers to share mm -hmm. any in our final comments, words we love to share them. 
any final words for the listeners, anyone out there? I would just thank your audience. I would thank everybody out there who is doing their best to raise awareness around this issue that's important to us in this field. I, I mean, it takes everybody. There's no way we can do it by ourselves. It really does take everybody. And we are getting more and more contributions every day and we don't take it for granted. All right. Well, did we do what we set out to accomplish? Did we um, raise awareness about your <laughs> your fight for for good in the dog training world? I I believe so. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank I you. think so. Yeah. Well, I have really a great um, afternoon out there in the desert. And it's a, the backdrop. I wish people could see it. You've got this amazing Arizona desert behind you. Um, go for a walk with your dogs. Put down your phone and have a great day. And thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wild at Heart podcast. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Wild at Heart Dogs, online at wildatheartdogs.com. I work primarily with herding breed dogs struggling with breed behaviors and reactivity, and I have a complete lineup of webinars, classes, and private virtual training options for clients. Artwork for the podcast was by the talented Ethan Beaudry, theme music by Adam Percy and inspired by Griff, our border collie. Sound editing and post-production was by Secret Clubhouse Sound on Denman Island. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like the show, subscribe and follow and leave a review. If you have a guest you'd like to suggest, please reach out to me at wildatheartdogs at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.